Well, good morning, Grace Hill, and all of our other friends tuning in this morning. Just uh, glad to worship together again via live stream uh, this morning. We're just been so great in either on our Facebook page or on our YouTube live channel. So thanks so much. My name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Hill Church. And so uh, if I've never met you because uh, we've been doing this live stream, uh, I hope one day that I can meet you um, and that you'll visit our church when we can gather uh, again. Um, we're going to jump into God's word here in a few minutes. We're actually, we're doing the, the fifth part uh, of a sermon series that we've been in called Reconsider. Uh, this will be the last week that we do in this sermon series. But really, here's our, our goal for this sermon series has been this, uh, to, to address some really common questions that people might have or assumptions that people might have that have really caused them to not consider Jesus or to walk away from the church because they've been hurt or because these are questions that they tend to not get answers to. And what we've wanted to do is pose those questions, um, say that those are valid, good questions to have and to go to God's word to get answers uh, from them. So uh, week one, the first question that we did was, uh, it, it, is faith in God just a coping mechanism in order to deal with suffering in this world? Because uh, a lot of people believe this, and we looked at some data with that question. And so that was the first one we answered. The, the second one we answered was, are, are we just material, temporary, biological beings, or uh, were we created by a God? And again, great question that we addressed in week two. Week three, we asked the question, isn't faith just behavior control? Isn't faith just social uh, control uh, to control other people? And um, that's a common question that I hear all the time. And week four, we asked the question, if God is good, then why do bad and evil things happen? And so if you missed any of those four questions, uh, just encourage you, scroll back down in our Facebook page or our YouTube channel, you will find those, or you can go to our podcast. If you go to our website, gracehillchurch.com, and uh, you can find our podcast there and be able to listen to those uh, sermons uh, from before. But, but this week, here's, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about leadership. Uh, because I believe that one reason why many people have walked away from God or have decided to never really even consider if they would believe in or have faith in a God or, or maybe reasons why people have walked away from the church is because of an experience they had with a leader or a pastor in the church. Uh, or, or maybe they had a hurtful or abusive experience with a parent or a guardian who used faith as a way to abuse or to control or to exert authority over someone. And, and maybe that's been your experience or you know somebody that that's been their experience. And that's caused you to say, listen, I, <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with the church or with faith uh, because of this. Um, church hurt faith-based hurt or abuse is really a special kind of hurt because it does something to your soul. You put your trust in certain individuals at a pretty intimate level, and you're convinced that their motives are pure just to be used or abused by them. 
And on top of all of that, there have been countless ways in which church leaders have had public moral failures or have shown themselves publicly to be two-sided on many issues. So for example, I think of uh, the massive and what seems to be systemic cover-up of child abuse in the, in the Catholic church. Uh, but it's not just the Catholic church. I think of the report that came out in the Houston Chronicle a few years ago uh, about the same problem within the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, I think of pastors who have committed infidelity and cheated on their spouses, or I think of pastors who... Uh, I think of televangelists praying on the poor, telling them that they're going to get financial blessing if they contribute to their private jet fund and stuff like that. I, I, if I can go there, I even think of faith leaders who were relentless in excoriating the character of President Clinton and President Obama, and they're just as relentless in defending the character of President Trump. And listen, they're making the claim that his party has nothing to do with it. Now, listen, I'm not talking about politics right now. I'm just talking about consistency. And it oozes with hypocrisy and deceit and different motives. And people look upon that and they just go, I just don't know if I can trust that. Is this a person I can entrust my soul to or be able to confide in? And if all of that has caused you to walk away from the church or question your faith, I understand. I get it. We have a major leadership problem in the church, major. And a lot of people have been hurt or turned off to God because of it. And so this morning, I want all of us to hear directly from Jesus about the kind of leadership that he expects from his people whether it is church leaders or any other Christian, Christ follower, who has some sort of position of leadership. So maybe you're a leader in the workplace and you have employees that work to you. This would apply to you. Maybe you're a leader in some other organization or your HOA or a club or something like that. This would apply. Maybe you're a parent and you have children that you have authority over. You exercise leadership over. This would apply And of course, this directly applies to people like me, pastors and leaders over churches. And Jesus has some very strong words for how a leader who claims to be a follower of Jesus conducts his or her self. And Jesus has a lot to say. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning because Jesus spoke to this extensively. So we're going to get right into it uh, so that we have enough time to get through all this. But let me just say first, um, every Monday at noon, uh, we go live on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel for a Q&A session. All right. So we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do, ta- uh, so basically right now, if you have any questions about what I'm going to be talking about, um, I want you to put those in the comments on Facebook, put those in the comments on YouTube. We will see those, or uh, you can go to our website, gracehillchurch.com. There's a button right up front, connect with us, click that, and you can submit your question that way if you'd like. Um, If you have any questions about what we are going to be talking about this morning, put those in and we'll be sure to answer those tomorrow at noon live right here on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. 
All right, let's, let's dig in this morning. So uh, get your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Matthew is the very first uh, book in your New Testament. It's the first gospel that we have in our Bibles. And we're going to be reading in uh, chapter 23. We're actually going to be reading most of that chapter this morning. And where we are in the book, Jesus is in his final week of his life uh, before he goes to the cross and is crucified um, and is resurrected. So he's in Jerusalem. And while he's there in Jerusalem during this final week, the tension between Jesus and what he's teaching and what he's preaching And the rest of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, all of them, that tension is starting to reach a fever pitch. And so there is this moment where Jesus stands up in front of all of his disciples and and all of the crowds, and he explains to them how the Pharisees and the scribes, he calls them out by name and the other religious leaders, how they have abused their authority and their leadership. And he's, he, is, he, he, he speaks very plainly about this. And so uh, if you look at chapter 23, Matthew 23, verses one to four, look at what Jesus says. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, he calls them out by name, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Okay, so here's what Jesus is saying about the religious leaders of the day, that these are people who have been trained in how to read and interpret and teach the scriptures. So so their teaching might be okay, but what's clear about the way they live their life is that their teaching and the scriptures have no bearing on the way that they live. And in other words, don't let a seminary degree fool you. It says nothing about someone's character. Maybe they're trained in how to teach the Bible but it does not mean anything about their motives. And so their teaching might be good. These are not people that truly represent Christ with their character and their leadership. And so Jesus is now going to get very specific on how their character and their motives are not representative of him. And so here's what I'm going to do. Coming from Jesus' words right here in Matthew 23, I'm going to give us uh, five characteristics of a leader that represents Jesus, straight from Jesus, all right? Five characteristics of a leader that represents Jesus. And, And this is what you should expect from your leadership here at Grace Hill Church, these five things. This is what you should expect of yourself if you hold a position of leadership in any sphere of life, because this is what Jesus expects his people to live and to uh, lead from wherever they are. And so for those of you uh, who have been hurt uh, by leaders or have been, you know, so disgusted by church leaders that it's driven you away from the church 
I want you to compare the words of Jesus here with your experience. And maybe you're willing to reconsider what you believe about Jesus, knowing the kind of character that he calls his leaders to in the Bible, and that maybe you wouldn't allow those who have abused their leadership to influence your view of Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's jump right into it. Five characteristics of a leader who represent uh, Jesus. Here's number one. Number one is this, a leader that represents Jesus does not see him or herself as different than those who, lead, uh, who uh, they lead, right? A leader that represents Jesus does not see him or herself as different than those they lead. Uh, let's read verses 5 to 12 in Matthew 23. Jesus says this, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts in the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, but you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let me tell you something about what Jesus says about leadership. Um, to Jesus, a leader is not this special person with special knowledge and special abilities that has assumed a role of directing and managing the regular people. A leader is one of the regular people who takes the position of servant, according to Jesus. We just saw that in verse eight. He says, you're all brothers and sisters. All of you are brothers and sisters. And a leader does not place themselves in this high position where they look down at the people and tell them what to do. A leader is one who has taken a low position to serve the people as a representative of Jesus, right? Verse 11 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. See, when a leader sees him or herself as different than the people, superior to those that they lead, then they will need to reinforce that by consistently displaying that difference and by treating others slash demanding that they be treated according to that difference, right? You looked at verse five again with me. It said this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. All right, we got to define that for just a second. So phylacteries um, were these little leather boxes and this was a literal interpretation of Deuteronomy 11, eight, where God says to bind the word of God to yourself. And so what uh, the Jews would do is take these leather boxes and it would contain these, this parchment that had scripture written on it and they would bind it to their heads and they would bind it to their arms. And for many people, it was a very sincere and devout way to express worship and devotion to God 
and his words, but to others like these leaders, it was a way to display how much more superior and different they were because they would wear phylacteries that were bigger and more pronounced so that everybody would see it. Or fringes. Uh, this comes from uh, Numbers 15, where God uh, told his people to uh, tie these tassels to their garments as a reminder uh, to keep the commands of God. So it's kind of like tying a string to your fingers so that you would remember something. And so people did this because they sincerely wanted to obey God, to remember his word. It was a worshipful practice to them, but others used it as a way to display their superiority. And so they would make their fringes really long and pronounced so that everybody would see it. And Jesus saw all of that as just childish and petty. He's like, what are you doing? Why are your phylacteries so big? Like, what are you, what are you trying to gain from this? As well as the need to, to dress differently than everyone else or to have the seats of honor at feast and for people to laud you. Oh my gosh, it's a leader. It's a Pharisee. It's a scribe. It's this, it's that. Or to make everyone refer to you with this special title, you know, pastor this, bishop that, teacher this, rabbi, doctor. And Jesus says, the people that need a title the people that need to be honored, the people that demand respect from their subordinates, demand it. The people that are too important to spend their time with regular people. Those aren't the leaders that represent me. We need to beware of leaders who need a platform, who conduct themselves as if they're a part of a different class because it's not the way of Jesus. Jesus, by the way, who is uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords spent time while he was here reclining at the table, eating food and drinking wine with people that the Jews thought were unclean. And the leaders who represent Jesus will lead like Jesus. Hijacked our view of leadership, just completely hijacked it, right? The world says that leaders are best and leaders are first. You know, I'll never forget uh, I don't know, a couple months ago or whatever, my kids were playing in the cul-de-sac out in front of our house, riding their bikes and they were racing each other. And my daughter, Christy got out of head of my son, Leland and Leland got so angry. He got off his bike and he started screaming, right? Get behind me. I go first. I am the leader. And I went over to Leland and I got down on my knees, eye to eye with him. And I said, buddy, why do you think that you being a leader means Christy can't win? Leaders are not the best. Leaders are not always first. Leaders are servants who let others go first. If you want to be a leader right now, buddy, you cheer her on. You don't get mad at her. That's at least Jesus' view of leadership. But the world has twisted all of that. So much so that even my five-year-old has been influenced by a different style of leadership, right? Leaders aren't different nor better than the people they lead. They're servants. And the job of church leaders is not to build their own platform, but to shepherd people to Jesus, right? My seminary degree, my speaking ability, my leadership skills mean nothing if I don't point you to Jesus. And you know what that means? That means that I'm replaceable. 
I am not indispensable. And that's a good thing, right? Leaders should always be concerned about the health of the people they're leading, not retaining their leadership. And it also means that you don't need me. You need Jesus. That leads to our second point. Point number two, second way that a leader represents Jesus is this. A leader that represents Jesus does not have special knowledge. A leader that represents Jesus does not have special knowledge. Look at verses 13 to 22 with me. Jesus says this, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus had some feelings about the leadership. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now, if you were a little confused by what we read, that, that it's kind of the point Jesus was rebuking the leaders for creating all of these different laws, customs, traditions, intricate interpretations of the scripture. And this is why Jesus is saying that their ministry is effectively shutting the kingdom of heaven to people. And even when they work hard to win over a convert, they don't actually convert them to Jesus because they aren't leading people to the word of God. They are leading people to rely on their own ministry, on their own leadership to understand the religious intricacies that they have created. What is the first thing uh, an abuser does to gain control in relationships? They groom their victims by creating a sense of dependence and control. And it's easy to do that using faith. It's really easy to do that using faith. And faith leaders do this by very subtly creating a culture within their church that they as the leader, the pastor, the seminary graduate has special knowledge, a special understanding of the scripture. They have special ways of interpreting the Greek and the Hebrew and this and that. And that what's best for you is to just trust what your leader says about the Bible and to not investigate it for yourself. Now, I hope you can trust what I teach and what our other pastors teach from the Bible. I hope and pray that my years of seminary training has enabled me to be a good teacher that you can rely on. But the scriptures were not meant to be provided just to the leaders. 
We have a faith where everything you need to know about God is provided in a book that is accessible to you. And God uses leaders and teachers to help people to understand what is in that book. And so, yes, I hope you can trust what I teach from the scriptures, but I also hope that right now you have a Bible open in your lap, open to Matthew 23, and that when I read the word, you're reading along with me. And my job is not to teach you anything in addition to the scriptures, but to teach you what is in that book, because that book contains what we need to know, right? I don't have special additional knowledge. No leader has special additional knowledge about God that is already not contained in the scriptures that you have access to. Listen, God will never, I just, this is so important. God will never reveal to one man special knowledge about anything pertaining to him that is not already in the scripture. He will not. That's how cults get started. This is how people get hurt. If anyone claims special knowledge from God, walk away. Don't don't trust them. Most of the New Testament was written against an ancient heresy called Gnosticism, right? Greek for, for special knowledge because people were walking around saying, I have special knowledge from God. 500 years ago, what sparked the Protestant Reformation from the Catholic Church? Right? There, there was a time where the common man did not have access to scriptures, They heard it read aloud while they went to mass and to other services. It was usually read in Latin, a language that they could not understand. So they had to rely on their leaders to faithfully teach them the word of God. Well, then what happened? The printing press got invented and the Bible got translated into the vernacular of the people. So now the word of God was in the people's hands And people began to read the scriptures and understand their Bibles a little more. And they go, wait, 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 wait. You can't sell salvation to fund your basilicas. That's not okay. And a host of other reforms were sparked because the Bible was in the laps of the common people. And the leaders got called out. No leader has special knowledge. Number three. Number three is this, a leader that represents Jesus knows there cannot be holiness without love. Let me say that again. A leader that represents Jesus knows there cannot be true holiness without love. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. Jesus says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out the gnat, swallowing a camel. So these leaders that Jesus was referring to were were known for being very intense about how they kept the up the, the practical areas of the law, right? The, the broad phylacteries, the long fringes, and then this example of tithing right here. These, these leaders would give large sums of their income and their crops and their resources that they produced to the temple. Or maybe 
when it comes to practicing the feast or practicing the Sabbath and wearing the right clothes and memorizing the Torah and all of these things, these leaders were impeccable in these areas of the law. They displayed a life of religious devotion. In those days, when they prepared wine, uh, they would strain the wine out to make sure bugs like little gnats got out and you wouldn't drink it. So it was pure. And so Jesus says that that's how they live their religious lives. So they're, they're so careful to keep all of these little areas of the law. They're straining out the tiniest little impurity, yet they can't even recognize the camel that they're swallowing, right? Which happened to be the largest animal in that region of the world. So Jesus refers to the smallest little insect and the largest animal in that region. So Jesus is obviously using hyperbole here to demonstrate how they work so hard to live this religious life, yet they completely lack the character that God expects from his leaders, the complete lack of love. A leader that represents Jesus knows there cannot be holiness without love. Right? Jesus gave uh, an example earlier in his ministry of this. There was a man walking on a road and he got badly mugged and beaten and robbed, left on the side of the road, all bloodied and left for dead. And a couple of religious leaders, these guys that Jesus is talking to, come upon him and they see him on the side of the road. They start to wrestle. You know, because the, the law says that if you touch a dead man, that you are ceremonially unclean. And so desiring to strain out the gnat here, uh, they, they opt to that. It would be better for me to keep going and, uh, and remain clean than to help this person. So they keep going. And another man walks alongside of the road. It's an immigrant this time. And he sees the man and rushes over to see if he's okay. I mean, just doesn't even think, just it's instinctual. My gosh, he goes to see if he's okay. He binds his wounds. He carries him to a hospital. He pays his medical bills. He, he does all of this at his own expense. He returns to make sure the man is okay. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Those who wish to strain out the gnat neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy, love. Jesus expects his leaders to reflect his own character, gentle, lowly, no swag, willing to lay their life down for others. We should beware of leaders who don't reflect the character of Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're impressed with their works. In Jesus' leadership economy, the end never justifies the means. We should never support leaders on any level that don't reflect the character of Jesus because we trust in the sovereignty of God. Number four, a leader that represents Jesus is not above criticism. A leader that represents Jesus is not above criticism. Look at Verses 25 to 28. Jesus says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh, we have a very toxic culture in our society, society today that doesn't give leaders room to admit when they're wrong. And we live in a fallen world. Leaders on every level are going to make mistakes in every institution. And we should beware of leaders who present themselves as the smartest person in the room, as the one whom can, no one could ever question what they have to say, as one who cannot be critiqued. When you have authority, it's very easy to use your authority to isolate yourself, to present yourself in a certain light that is not reflective of reality, and to create a culture where people will be fearful of providing criticism. And when leaders create that culture, everyone suffers. And so we should beware of, of leaders who refuse internal accountability to their organization, right? Internal accountability. And here's why I say that and what I mean by internal accountability. Where the, the closest people to you, the people who sit under your leadership, the people who will be the first to notice your mistakes, have permission and are encouraged. They're actually encouraged to provide critical feedback, right? It's very popular today for religious leaders to have external accountability, right? I've heard pastors say that, that they cannot receive internal accountability. They have to have external accountability because they're so unique and nobody in their organization could possibly understand what they're going through. And although that might be true in some senses, and it might be good for pastors to get coaching from other pastors around, I, I certainly do that. But it's the people inside the organization who love you, who observe your character, who can see your blind spots. But leaders who refuse internal accountability are creating an environment where they're like whitewashed tombs. They might look good, but we have no idea what's going on on the inside. And now we have a culture where it's, it's too messy to get involved or to say something. The, the relationship might be damaged. We should ask in our churches, in our homes, in our workplaces, are we creating a culture where the leader is perfect, smartest person in the room above criticism? Or are we creating a culture where the leader can be human and can receive feedback. I mean, can your, can your kids provide criticism to you? Can your employees provide some helpful feedback to you that, that might be critical? Can the people of our church provide feedback and criticism up into our leaders? And this leads to our, our last characteristic of a leader that represents Jesus. That's this, number five, a leader that represents Jesus knows they will have blind spots. A leader that represents Jesus knows they will have blind spots. Look at uh, verses 29 to 36 with me. It says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous saying, 
Well, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with what uh, they did in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus is upset. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your own synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." See, here's what's going on here. The religious leaders of the day that Jesus is talking to um, were known for talking about their forefathers and how they murdered the prophets. God sent them prophets and uh, they didn't like the prophet's message. And so they uh, murdered them. And yet, oh, the irony that just days from this incident, these very people who said, we are not like our forefathers are about to crucify the Messiah. Uh, They're about to flog and crucify God himself. And they're going to continue to do it with Jesus' disciples, with the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter and Stephen and, and all the rest who are martyred for their faith. They were about to make the same mistake as their forefathers times 10. Major blind spot. Major lack of self-awareness. We should beware of leaders who don't fear their own blind spots and who establish a culture where people can't point out the blind spots or the weaknesses. We should beware of leaders who aren't willing to own their weaknesses and admit that they need other people to be strong where they are weak, that they can't do it all by themselves. It's too dangerous for a leader to be all by himself. Right? This is the mark of an insecure leader, a leader who is so determined to be right, to be lauded, to retain control and authority, that they are blind to their own blindness and make everyone else suffer with them. Insecure leaders find their value and their worth in their leadership. And the good news of the gospel is that our value and our worth is not found in our title or our accomplishments or our reputation, but our value and our worth is found in Christ. And that means I don't have to make people suffer under my leadership. That that means that when I make a mistake, if I'm made aware of a weakness as a leader, It's not a threat to my value and worth. In fact, when when I'm willing to let others point out my blind spots, if I'm willing to uh, let others lead where I'm weak, then I actually gain people's trust, not lose it. Parents, you'll gain your children's trust when you apologize and admit when you're wrong. No excuses. You're not perfect. Your kids know that. You're not expected to be perfect. So don't create a culture in your home where mommy and daddy are never wrong. It's not healthy. Same in the workplace. If you have employees, you're not the smartest person in the room. You're not the only one who knows what to do. Don't be the boss who is above feedback. Don't be the boss who has so much pride that when your employee has a better idea, you're not willing to hear it. 
Don't be the boss who can't admit when they don't know what they're doing. Your value and worth are not found in your leadership. And by the way, you'll be a better leader when you unlock the capacity and potential of your team to lead together. And it's the same with faith leaders. We're not the smartest. We're not the godliest. We will make mistakes. We need people to point out our blind spots as well. I mean, can you spot a theme in these five leadership characteristics? A leader who represents Jesus doesn't see themselves as different, doesn't have special knowledge, reflects the character of Jesus, is not above criticism, and knows that they will have blind spots. Simply put, a a Christ-like leader is a humble leader who doesn't use their leadership to serve their own interest or stroke their ego. A Christ-like leader uses their leadership to prop up others, to help others flourish. And the last thing they are going to do is allow their ego to get in the way of leading others well. I mean, do you notice how Jesus only talked about how these leaders tried to cover up their sin and mistakes? He didn't get on them for their sin and mistakes. Leaders will make mistakes. They will be wrong about things. They are fallen. They are fallible. But do they have the humility to deal with it properly so others don't have to suffer under their mistakes? And so if you're a leader, again, anywhere in life, any capacity, my question to you this morning is this. Would those under your leadership say you reflect these characteristics? What would your kids say? What would your employees say? What would people in the church say? What would people uh, uh, in whatever organization you might lead in, your HOA, Trace Diaz, whatever other organization there are out there that you might have leadership in, what would they say? We shouldn't be above receiving that feedback. And when we humble ourselves to receive that feedback, not only is it good for the people that we're leading, it's good for our own souls because our value is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But for those of you um, who do have that church hurt that I referred to earlier, and maybe you're, you're not willing to consider Jesus because of an experience that you've had or you've walked away from the church. I just want you to hear from Jesus this morning what he expects of his leaders. And yes, there are people who are gonna fail this, of course. We all are in our leadership in some way, shape or form. That's why it's so important that we create these systems and structures so people can speak into that. My hope and my prayer for you this morning is that you would look at the character of Jesus as we see displayed in Matthew 23 and that you wouldn't allow fallible human leaders to impact what you believe about Jesus. Because Jesus, the the, the one who does have all power and authority, the one who is above all leaders, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who created you and everything around you, the one whom you'll answer to at the end of this life, that Jesus became a man, suffered and gave his own life on the cross to forgive you of your sins so that you might be right with God and have eternal life. 
Uh, the one with all authority laid down his life so that you may thrive. That's true leadership. That is true leadership, to lay down one's life so others may live. And so will you follow that leader? Will you consider following Jesus and exploring him again? And as a church, we just wanna be there for you. If, the, if your answer to that is yes, please reach out to us. Go to our website, click that connect with us button. And we'd love to connect with you and help you to explore Jesus again. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, as we read Matthew 23, I'm just reminded of the intensity of Jesus' language. Jesus was very, very upset with how leaders were representing him. And God, as we think about our own experience or stories we've heard, we know that there are leaders today who abuse their leadership and they abuse others. And God, I just pray for those out there who really have been hurt by the church. And um, God, I just pray that they would see your heart this morning in the Bible. And that, Lord, your spirit would just meet them in a, in a really gentle way this morning. And, and God, would you shepherd them back to yourself? God, I pray for, for Grace Hill Church that we would lead like this. God, help us never to get so prideful that, that we, we see ourselves as above criticism or above feedback. God, we want to represent you. We want to represent Jesus and how we lead. God, correct us quickly when we stray from that. And God, I just pray for everyone else who, who's in positions of leadership. God, would you help them to find their value and their worth in you and not in their leadership and help them begin to use their authority and their leadership to help others thrive and live. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and how it speaks so specifically into our lives. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.